Hi, my name is Jim. I am a compulsive overeater and a lot of other things, and very grateful to be here tonight, very grateful for this program, and very grateful for Overeaters Anonymous for taking approximately 110 pounds off my body and keeping it off for over 40 years now. And that's the miracle of this program, because I could not stick to a diet for a day by the time I got into this program. And to be released or having in remission for over 100 pounds for over 40 years is a complete and utter miracle. Now, I'm your plain garden variety compulsive overeater. I mean, I was a fat kid, and I went through all the fats, all the stuff you go through when you're a fat kid in our society. But you know what? I only have 20 minutes, not 20 hours. So uh, I'll try to skip a lot of the tale of woe and four-part harmony, as I like to call it. I went on my first diet when I was 10 years old, promptly lost about 30 pounds, which was about half of what I needed to lose at the time. And of course, I promptly found it because we all know that weight is never really lost. We all know where to find it. It's sitting right there in certain aisles in the supermarket. So anyhow, and every restaurant, every kitchen, every garbage can as well. So anyhow, um, the story of my life was I would get sick and tired of being fat. I'd go on a diet. I'd lose some weight. I'd hit that strange mental blank spot that I talked about in the AA Big Book where, for reasons yet obscure, we're totally without defense against that first bite, and I'd go off my diet, and I'd go into relapse, and I could not get back on. And that was essentially the story of my life. You know, diet and relapse, diet and relapse. And I I tried a bunch of other things. I, I tried geographic cures, moving from Pennsylvania to Southern California and then to Northern California. I thought that becoming a you know, long-haired, uh, hippie-free, grateful deadhead would fix me. It did not thought that cutting my hair off and uh, getting a real job would fix me. You know, that didn't do it either. Because everywhere I went, everything I tried, I took myself with me. And that meant I took my eating disorder with me as well. So it was the summer of 1981. I rolled into San Francisco. And even though I didn't know anybody in town, the uh, my days consisted of you know, going off to work. And at 4.59, it would bail out to the drugstore across the street from where I worked, which was aptly named a drugstore, because at 5 o'clock, everybody standing in line was getting their fix. And I would get my massive quantities of junk food. And I don't like to tell food logs because, you know, uh, they make me hungry. And we all know how to overeat here. So going into explicit details about binges past doesn't really do us any good. But let's just say in order to, you know, carry around 110 extra pounds on my body. I am an industrial strength overeater. So, yeah, I'd be standing in line at five o'clock to get my fix, to get my, you know, pounds of junk food. And I would tell myself, I, eat, I would lie to myself and say, well, I'll eat just a little bit when I get home and I'll save the rest for another day. And the, uh, and then I'll have like a wholesome meal later. Well, when I'd get home, I would draw the curtain shut lest the neighbors I didn't know across the street would get out binoculars, look through, through their windows, and see that I was eating junk food. Now, at this point, I had a 46-inch waist. And 
you know, as if they could not tell by looking at me what I was doing with food. But, you know, hey, you know, I thought that the beard hid my double chin really well, right? And, you know, if nobody saw me eat it, it didn't count, right? Right. Well, and I was also having nights where the chest pains would hit, and I didn't even know if I was going to make wake up the next day. So I made out my will at the age of 22. That is where this disease brought me. But somewhere in the back of my brain, I had remembered hearing about Overeaters Anonymous. You know, I'd heard about it several times over the years. You know, the advice columnists, Dear Abby and Ann Landers, would mention us from time to time. So I knew it was out there, but I had no idea what to expect. But I was desperate. You know, my last geographic year had failed. The disease was killing me. And I couldn't stop eating. And I can remember clearly going, this this weight is killing me. And But I couldn't stop eating. And so I was really desperate. And I, I waddled into OA. And I'm really grateful that I, I fell among a community of people who knew what it was like to abstain from overeating and who taught me how to do that. And the way I got abstinent was I got myself a sponsor. And my sponsor told me to go to 90 Overeaters Anonymous meetings in 90 days. Didn't quite make 90 and 90, but I made a meeting almost every day for a long time. Because I find that when I go to a lot of OA meetings, it becomes easier for me to eat properly. When I don't get to a lot of OA meetings, it gets harder. Now, why is that? Who knows? But the reality is, is that's just my experience. But I started going almost every day, and I realized there are a lot of people in these rooms who had what I wanted, people who had lost or were losing the weight and who had you know, had what I wanted, and a lot of people hadn't gotten it yet. So I very obnoxiously went around and tried to interrogate people to find out what the magical secret was. And I'd go up to people and say, what do you eat? What do you pray to? How do you meditate? You know, expecting to find some miracle secret that only the, the true insiders knew. But it turns out there's no secret. It's all the stuff we talk about. You know, there's no secrets in this program. You know, you just go to meetings and, you know, as they say in another program, you know, take the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth. And so what I basically do is do what I see working for other people like me. <clears throat> and that's why I love 100-pounders meetings, because, <laughs> you know, this is my tribe. I know what it's like to be morbidly obese. My problem was not hallucinating about being fat. My problem was being morbidly obese. That uh, for me, this is not some mere cosmetic issue. So, you know, I did not come into this program to lose five pounds and look good in a bathing suit. I came into this program because I did not want to die from morbid obesity. And that's why I keep coming back, because this is a life and death program for me. That, uh, and anyways, what, what I saw working for other people is all that stuff that we hear about at meetings, you know. We have these 12 steps, and we 
use these nine tools of recovery in order to work those 12 steps. And you'll notice four out of our nine tools of recovery talk about working with other compulsive overeaters. That's why we go to Overeaters Anonymous meetings. That's why we make phone calls to people. That's why we do service at meetings. That's why we go to meetings. All means of interacting with other people like us. It's about building up a support network of people like us who know what we've gone through and who can support us. Now, when somebody who's never been fat says, go push yourself away from the table, I want to tell them where to shove it. But when uh, somebody who's been where I've been around the food says, don't eat no matter what, I go, wow, that's profound. That Because uh, you know, people who've been where I've been have a credibility that normies and civilians don't have, you know, no matter how many letters they have after their name. I mean, that... Uh, you know, I know what it's like to shop in the big and tall shop. I know what it's like to have stretch marks stretching all over my body. I know what it's like to be discriminated against for jobs and other things. I mean, I know that's – and you all are my tribe. You've all been there. You've all done that. We've all done this stuff. And the um, – you know, and, and maybe it's just my own pathology, but – I pay more attention to people who've been where I've been around the food. Now, I'm not saying other people don't belong in OA. I'm not saying that, uh, you know, anything you know, about that. Anyone who wants to stop eating compulsively is welcome here. We really mean that. But I pay more attention to people whose disease is more like mine, and that's why I love 100-pounders meetings. I can still remember the very first San Francisco 100-pounders meeting back in December 1981. I don't know if there were any earlier ones in other cities. But, uh, you know, Angela Holberry is the one who uh, founded the meeting. And uh, there were four of us at their very first meeting at uh, Vincentian Villa in San Francisco. And uh, the meeting has grown, and I know it's moved around, and it's still going strong. And I've moved to other cities and started 100-pounders meetings. As a matter of fact, I also uh, started the 100-pounders phone meetings as well, you know, because I need to listen to other people like me. And um, so, but what is it that people like me do to recover? Well, um, I got a sponsor. Sponsor told me to go to 90 OA meetings in 90 days. And I started calling in my food. And at first, I started off with a basic four-food plan out of the dignity of choice. And the cravings were really intense. I mean, I knew I was a food addict. That I knew long before I came into OA. And I didn't know anything about recovery or 12-step programs, but I knew I was an addict. And when people in OA said, yeah, we're food addicts, I thought, wow, you get it. And then they said something which, like, really just blew me away. It's a lot easier to eat none than some. Because I'm just like an alcoholic with chocolate. I mean, a little bit sets off a craving for more. Now, why my body responds that way doesn't matter. If this is not Overeaters Analysis, it's Overeaters Anonymous. You know, the reality is, is my body responds that way. A little bit sets off a craving for more. And if I don't take that first bite, 
I'm not going to take the second, the third, the fifth, the hundredth, and finishing up the whole pound. That, uh, But I was warned, you know, hey, I was going to go through withdrawal. And let's face it, if eating healthily suddenly made us feel wonderful, we all would have done it a long time ago. You know, instead, you know, the diseased part of my brain says, feed me. But, again, you know, the people who'd gone through it before said it will pass, and it did. And they said it passes a lot easier if you go to a lot of OA meetings, if you call people in the telephone, if you read the literature. Wow, what a concept. I mean, and, but again, at first it was real touch and go. And then at a meeting I heard somebody talk about, that 100-pounder talking about, the fact that she didn't eat any, you know, starches, you know, bread, rice, potatoes, that kind of stuff. And I thought she was insane because my mother was a home ec teacher and I knew all about the four basic food groups. Of course, the way I implemented them was sugar, salt, grease, and starch. But the, um, but here was somebody who had what I wanted and she said, yeah, you know, we know what our body does. It takes those, you know, those starches, those, you know, polysaccharides, that's what they're called, poly meaning many, saccharide meaning sugar, and chops them up into smaller sugars. Huh, that seems to make sense. And so out of desperation, I tried that ultra-low-carb food plan in our Dignity of Choice pamphlet, and wow, the cravings went away. Huh. Now, it turns out later I was medically diagnosed as being the wheat products, and even later I found out I've got the genes for celiac. But um, the, uh, I discovered you know, by trial and error that, wow, when I don't eat those like heavy starches, you know, the cravings are almost totally gone. Oh, every once in a while they'll come back. You know, I don't claim to be cured. You know, I'm like somebody who's lost his legs. I'm not going to grow new ones. But the, uh, you know, when I don't eat foods that cause problems for me, wow, it becomes easier for me to eat properly. What a concept. So what I do is I eat three meals a day, nothing in between, none of my old binge foods. You know, the 301 plan. You know, I've been blessed with that for over 42 years. That um, the, um, that limits the amount of damage I can do in any one day. Uh, I weigh and measure most of my food, not always, but that makes sure that ensures that I get just the right amount of food, not too much, not too little. Because Five abstinence, thank you. Abstinence is not about the death camp deprivation diet. It's not punishment. We're not bad people who need to get good, but sick people who need to recover. And one of the best ways for me to pamper myself is to make sure I get just the right amount of food, not too much, not too little, and not to eat any foods that make me feel bad, that set off cravings for more. You know, that really is the ultimate in loving myself. You know, now, of course, the diseased part of my brain says, oh, hey, Jim, remember that good time we had together back in 1976? And that's just stinking thinking. But anyhow... So I went in the ultra-low-carb plan, and it took me about a year to lose the weight. 
And I'm real grateful that people in program talked about things like stretch marks and hanging skin and things like that because I always thought that when I lost my all my weight that I'd be six feet tall, that I'd have a body that looked like an Olympic swimmer with seven gold medals, that you know, the, the Dallas cheerleaders would drive up in a big limousine and drop bags of gold in my doorstep and, and do other wonderful things with me. And the day I lost weight, um, life had other plans. You know, the day I hit goal weight, no chorus of heavenly beings saying praises. My girlfriend at the time wasn't even talking to me. Um, I still had to work for a living. And everybody treated me just the same as they did the day before. Oh, and the stretch marks did not go away. You know, the skin was sagging, so I looked like a deflated balloon. And I thought time would fix it. No, time and gravity makes things sag even more. But you know what? It's sure a whole lot better than carrying 110 extra pounds on my body. Now, when I hit maintenance, I really didn't know what I could eat or not eat. So I went through about a year and a half of experimentation of trying this and trying that. And I tried adding all kinds of you know healthy whole grain you know carbs of this type or the other. And when I did that, the cravings came back. Bummer. You know, so with the help of my sponsor, you know, calling in my food every day. And by the way, 42 years later, I still call in my food every day because it works. That um, the, um, you know, when things cause problems, I let go of them. Of course, that have claw marks all over them. I mean, I don't give up anything just just to be a holy person. No, no, <laughs> you know, I don't give up something until it's beaten me so bad that I'm just begging God to take it away. And uh, and I'm glad that they taught me that you know the key to maintenance is not so much more food but more program. That because uh, you know I'm not cured, and you know so I still need you know to live those twelve steps because that's what it takes for an addict like me not to self-destruct. And uh, so what I do is I, I get up on my knees in the morning and I ask God for help. Take a few minutes of quiet time where I try to meditate. I have a sponsor that I call just about every day. I sponsor a bunch of people that I expect to hear from daily. And by the way, they do more to keep me abstinent than anything else. That uh, So if you want to work this program, I recommend you start sponsoring as soon as you can. You know, Because doing that and doing service, I do service at meetings, um, gets us to meetings, gets us you know into that network of recovery. Why it works, who knows? But one of the things I've noticed over the years is the people who recover work the 12 steps they use those nine tools that means a lot of working with others in this program again this is not the kind of thing i can do alone by myself in my own kitchen it doesn't work that way you know i need to work intensively with other industrial strength food addicts like me in order to stay out of the food you know if you you know look at the aa program it says over and over again in the AA Big Book, feeling shaky, work with another drunk. You know, that's that's the spirituality of this program. You know, it's not go to a mountaintop and chant until you know the fork levitates away. No. It's reach out and help somebody else who's just as messed up as you are. You know what? It works. So I'm almost completely out of time and uh, grateful all of you are here tonight. I'll leave my phone number. My name is Jim. My phone number is 
855-851-8575. And I live in the U.S. East Coast, so uh, please, uh, East Coast numbers or East Coast times if you want to call me. Um, and if I don't recognize the number, I may screen the call. So if you get a, a weird message saying the call's being screened, go ahead and talk. Uh, I'll see the screening message. And uh, with that, I will turn it back over to our leader. Thank you for helping me stay abstinent by allowing me to tell my story.